Drive with Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. I'm laughing because... <laughs> Governor Jim Douglas is with us, and he's doing a little jig here, a little dance yeah. to, the, to the music. What is that music, anyway? This you? is Tom Petty, American Girl. Ah, there you okay. go. Okay. It's a great song. It was actually uh, it, it, kind of a dark movie, but Silence of the Lambs, it mm. was in that. And there's a girl driving her car. And huh? I, I thought you were coming back with Don't Stop Believing." by I was going to, but I, we were talking, and the next thing I knew, the computer was just saying, <laughs> nope, you're playing American Girl. <laughs> because in the <laughs> NFC Championship games yesterday, they at San Francisco, they were playing... Don't Stop Believing by, by Journey, which is a San Francisco band. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting uh, uh, championship games yesterday, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, anybody you were rooting for, Governor? No, uh, after the Pats were out, I guess I didn't really care. But <laughs> You had your run. Yes, yes we <laughs> did. But uh, Kansas City might, uh, might tie them. If they win another Super Bowl. Boy, right? they are. I thought you'd never see a, a run, and they still have a long way to go, uh, like the Patriots and like Tom Brady and Belichick. But boy, oh boy, the Chiefs are really building up quite the record, particularly if they win this Super Bowl. They really are. They really are. I don't know. I was like an underdog, which I guess would be San Francisco this time, right? Well, will they be? I don't know who will be favored. Uh, That's a good San Francisco is supposed to have a really good team. Kansas City didn't have a great record this year i mean it was 11 and 6 it was not right bad but not great but they have the secret weapon uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, who will distract all the 49ers when she's, she's in the stands that's right that could be that could be it right there we will never seriously see the if they win the super bowl she'll they'll that'll never go away well um but uh, a lot of people were rooting for the Detroit Lions because I know, including me, because yeah. uh, they'd never been there and they had a twenty-four-seven lead. Well, I saw that, and then, then I had to go do something, and so I didn't watch for uh, most of the third quarter and uh, and into the fourth. And then I turned the TV back on, and it flipped completely. So, oh, I, I did the same. I, I checked back in. It was like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That looked like they were going to the Super Bowl. Well, and as you said, uh, but for a couple of field goal attempts, they might have been. The coach decided not to go for the extra points that he probably should have. Uh, 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 but anyway, it'll be, it'll be a fun Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Governor, what's uh, any any update on the lo- on the Middlebury College lawsuit? Well, Where do we stand? Um, uh, we're chugging along. We're in the discovery phase now. Uh, we've. Uh, uh, demanded certain records from the college. We may have some depositions in the not too distant future, but uh, it's a very frustrating pace. I I guess that's the way these things go. But um, the wheels of justice turn slowly. They do. Times, they really they do. And uh, I guess we just have to accept that. Is there any even a guess at a timeline of when there's no nothing to? Mm, no, no. Probably this millennium. <laughs> Well, we've narrowed it down a little bit. Yeah, that's right. All right, this century. <laughs> there we go. Will you be able to see the uh, the, the eclipse? Um, well, I, I was thinking about renting out our spare bedrooms for 5000 a night or something. Middlebury will yeah. see it, right? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's not as good as Burlington, apparently, but... Um, but as you say, Can I get uh, that quote down. Middlebury is not as good as Burlington. Well, <laughs> only on April eighth. Okay, <laughs> a clarification by the guy. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know. But as you said, eighty percent chance of clouds. I mean, yeah, what a shame. But they, they said, well, I guess that's just the 
that's the way the record on April statistically, 8th is that yeah. statistically they say it's 80% chance of cloudiness. Doesn't mean it will be, but if it is, they say you won't see it as good, but you'll still you'll still yeah. notice it. Well, because it'll be dark. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, your caller suggested going in a plane. I mean, with my luck, uh, the flight would be delayed or canceled or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, because of the clouds. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I wonder how many people are going to be airborne for this. People with with means of being airborne. And, of course, uh, uh, I can hear the passengers now. Oh, I should have been on the other side of the plane. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just punch the door open. Oh, sorry. Well, we know it'll land. It's okay. There's a hole in the plane. We, uh, you recognize the voice. We're talking to Governor Jim Douglas. Uh, he is uh, one of our favorite guests. He's a friend of the show, has been for the, we're coming up on five years already, Governor. Really? Time March, flies. March 4th. It's five years of the morning. You started on Vermont's birthday. I'd forgotten that. That's right. The day we joined the union in 1791. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and remember, of course, that's the only date that is a sentence. March 4th. <laughs> oh, yes. Very good. I was sitting there like, what? Well, it took you a minute. Uh, it did. I said it in my head. I'm like, no, I got to verbalize this because March 4th. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Now, um, Governor, I have to ask you because, of course, not only were you governor and treasurer and secretary of state for all those years, but also a legislator and um I was minority leader, majority. Well, was the majority uh, leader at the well, time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of close uh, then um, uh, in terms of the numbers, and we had a lot of independents, and we had some of them, Kurt, uh, who would go to one caucus one week and the other caucus the next week. So we just kind of thought, well, Republican leader maybe is the safer appellation. <laughs> it was really like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it yeah. seems so foreign now to think that that uh, enough independents would one on one subject they would caucus with the Republicans. Yeah. And then they'd be like, no, we're, I'm, I'm kind of like that bill better or where it's headed in that direction. We're going to caucus with yeah, the Democrats. Or they just kind of go back and forth to hear what's going on generally yeah. from uh, one side to the other. So it was a very different atmosphere. And, of course, the uh, parties were fairly evenly divided in the 70s most of those years. And, um, well, I mean, we started the 70s with <clears throat> 100 Republicans. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> things kind of got whittled down. Well, they did. They did. But I, I remember thinking when I was in the executive office that I don't really – here, if we have a Republican majority, as long as they're closer. So there's some requirement to work together, reach across the aisle. But now yeah. when it's so lopsided, it's just crazy. You really do see the difference, don't you, when there's a supermajority like this? And it, it seems to me, I want to get your take, but does it seem like the supermajority is not taking into account that the fact that the governor also had a landslide mandate? Yeah, I've had that discussion with some of them, uh, to no avail, obviously. But um, Governor Scott, as we all know, carried each and every single city and town in the state. Uh, yeah. I never did that. Not, uh, so not, all their districts. That's right. So, uh, And, of course, their answer is, well, they elected us, too. Yeah, they did. But uh, there has to be some respect for the fact that he's the guy who's um, you know, the top of the uh, ticket, the, the leader to whom everybody looks and uh, for running state government. And um, there's just uh, no respect at all, and I, I, I don't, I don't think that's healthy. Didn't you say on the show another time that when you were in the legislature, if the governor vetoed something, you would basically say, you and others would say, like, okay, let's go back, and you know, we're not going to tr- 
just go try to override them. Exactly right. Uh, thanks for remembering. Uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I went through the House journals to make sure that my recollection was correct, and it was. Uh, when Tom Salmon was governor during my first four years in the House, I voted to sustain his veto every time. because uh, Even though you might not have agreed with him. Exactly. Uh, our view was if, if the governor feels so strongly uh, to, to, as to exercise a rare veto, then he must have a good reason for it, and we have an obligation to work with him to redo the bill and come up with something that we can agree on. It was a very different environment. But I bet it was um, also much more productive. I well, mean, because now it's like, it just seems like this constant battle. It, it doesn't seem like much gets advanced because you, you're you're just focused on, on this. And then some some of the vetoes get sustained, some of them get overridden. And then they come back the next year and like, well, this was a mistake. We got to do this. We got to do that. It doesn't, it just seems more like a whirling dervish now as opposed to a thoughtful advance. I think that's right. And the irony, Anthony, is that we did it in less time. Right. Uh, yeah. We're out at the end of March. Well, yes. Yes. I mean, it's just bizarre to see this uh, session dragging on and on and on. And I, I think we've discussed this in the past, too. There are a lot of states where uh, the legislative session is fixed by Constitution, so it has to be over an X number of days. Uh, kind of a good idea as the sessions drag on. And, you know, there's this, all this talk about legislative pay. I mean, in the last half century, I've never had anybody say to me, I'm not running because it doesn't pay enough, but I have lots of people, I've had lots of people say, I'm not running because the session takes too much time. I can't be away from my job yeah. or business for that long. Now, we, we will note that, of course, the, the governor did, they weren't able to override his veto the other day on the bottle bill. Yep. So he did win one there. Yep. Or the pay raise. Uh, and the pay raise, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the pay raise, they were, but many other ones, of course, they did override them on. Um, they have. Yep. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Governor. I'm just going to guess that you didn't have a supermajority when Tom Salmon was governor and that things might have been a little different. But um, I, that's really not my question. I understand you want balance in the legislature, so you want to elect more Republicans, and I get that. Parties always want to do that. But how do you do that with a twice-impeached, thrice-indicted, twice-divorced rapist at the top of your ticket? I mean, what is the GOP thinking? Well, it, is right. more, it is more challenging, but uh, uh, you know, Phil Scott is uh, the top of the ticket on a statewide basis, and he's very popular, as you know. He's been elected with huge uh, majorities. And uh, that's uh, where our focus ought to be, supporting him. Uh, there's no question that uh, things in Washington are a little odd right now. Uh, at some point, we'll be in the post-Trump era, maybe in a year, maybe in five. Uh, but uh, my focus is on Vermont, and I know Governor Scott's is too. Does, does Trump, be, if in fact he is at the top of the ticket, does it make it harder in places like Vermont? Sure, though? sure, uh, because this is not a very friendly state for him, uh, he got, what, 29% of the vote or something. I mean, George W. was on the ballot when I was uh, in 2004, but he got 39%. Um, so this, this is uh, a challenge for Republicans. But um, we, need to, uh, uh, we need to focus on, on Vermont. And I think that's just the precursor of the next year. Every, everything's going to immediately get associated with Trump because that's, that's just the quickest way to kill any candidate in Vermont. And we'll, we've got some more calls, but Let, we'll, get, we'll get into that a little bit more, too, with the governor in a few minutes. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Would that be me? Yes, it would be you. 
Gentlemen, good morning, and Governor, happy 24. Good to, uh, good to hear your voice, and I hope you're doing well. You know, you said something. I don't have time, obviously, to, uh, to go over everything that I'd like to go over with all of you. Um, I'm just pulled off on the side of the road, but when you were talking about Vermont legislature, there's an expression I heard some time ago. Um, uh, it, it, uh, it took me all day. To do to do nothing, sort of, you know. And when when you when you when you were talking about the legislature just not getting very much done in a in a long period of time, even um, or if they did get anything done, it took forever. It sort of prompted that uh, that thought in my head, and I I just thought it gave me a, an excuse to call in and wish everybody a happy twenty four, and especially to you, Governor. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thank so. you for all your good work. Well, you're very kind. Thank and you. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you for your continued good work uh, behind the uh, behind the scenes, if you will. Well, I, I do my best. Uh, thanks for your call. Yeah, hard to believe January is almost over. Uh, it's flying by, isn't it? But yeah, I, and you know, I don't want to suggest that uh, the legislature hasn't accomplished anything, but but it, it, they're just less expeditious than uh, we were. In the good old days, and Governor, you sort of you started to touch on it, so let's talk about that. Is the pay raise now started out as a doubling of legislators' pay benefits, uh, pay in the off session, all kinds of stuff. They whittled it back a little bit this year, but it was still going to be a seventy, basically a seventy-five percent pay increase. Um, and now, I believe because of so much attention being paid to it. Campaign for Vermont came out with a survey that said something like 77% said we're not likely to vote for a candidate voting for these things. Uh, I think the edict came down from the Speaker on Friday that we're not going to be able to pass that type of a bill this year. And I think it's because of all the attention. But, again, we have some legislators who are just beside themselves that they're not going to be able to get this kind of a pay raise and saying it's leaving them in a financial place of insecurity. What I mean, what do you say to that? Hard, hard to know where to start, Kurt, but um, <laughs> first of all, the listeners should know that they do get a raise every year. Um, we, when I was in the legislature, we had to actually uh, vote to increase it um, from whatever number it was, uh, but now it's been tied to a pay grade in the classified service, uh, which is fine. Uh, so it goes up um, you know, by a rate of inflation or something on an annual basis. Probably not every Vermonter gets that. No, exactly right. Uh, exactly right. So, uh, so they do get a raise now every year. I think that's important for uh, for everyone to know. Um, but secondly, uh, when I hear this talk about, well, we're trying to tie it to the uh, wage of the average Vermonter. Well, wait a minute. This is not supposed to be a job. It's supposed to be public service. It's something you do uh, outside of your normal life. Remember, uh, New Hampshire legislators get what two hundred dollars a year. I mean, so it could be a lot worse. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, that, that, that uh, comparison is totally irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. And I think they also were using the wrong uh, indicator, too, when they talk about the Vermonters' yeah. salaries because the average Vermonter does not get they, – they were, they were looking at $1,400 a week salary. Now, you tell me how many Vermonters are getting $1,400 a week. Yeah. So they use the term median not average. Oh, interesting. So there are there are very few Vermonters that make an insane amount of money, and right. when you divide that ag- across the few of us, then it makes the median income fourteen hundred a week. But the average Vermonter, 
I think is uh, is about six hundred and eighty dollars a week. I, I haven't looked in a long time, so I'm, I'm sure you're but, right. But but no, but that's part of the spin. Yeah. See, they, yeah. it's it's just oh, the median Vermonter. Okay, everybody thinks median, middle. Okay, but that that's that wasn't the average. It was the middle of the of the whole pie. Just well, saying. Sorry. And, and through the years, uh, uh, Kurt mentioned the the benefits and the off season pay. We, we've looked at that from time to time, but never. Uh, thought uh, that we had a fair way to do it. I mean, yeah, back in the olden days, uh, before <clears throat> cell phones were invented, uh, legislators in very rural districts had to make a toll call to most of their constituents, whereas you city slickers, you know, uh, <laughs> they were all point. local calls, right? So, so the uh, the thought at the time was maybe those with uh, in the Northeast Kingdom or, or very rural areas ought to get a little increment for their off season work or whatever. Um, but we, we just couldn't come up with a way to do it that seemed to make sense. And the idea that – I'm sorry, I still bristle at the idea that in the off-session you need to get pay for – because they get paid now if they're on a task force, if they're on a special committee that they've been assigned to that meets in the off-session. They want to get paid like if they go to a neighborhood planning <laughs> assembly meeting and yeah. they just decide to go to it, they can say – Oh, I'm there because I'm a legislator. So pay me. Uh, it's a it's a different uh, uh, attitude. It's an entitlement mentality that's uh, just not healthy. And you know, um, there's a provision in the state constitution that speaks to this. Um, our forefathers uh, thought about this. They thought, "Gosh, I bet centuries from now they're going to be talking about uh, paying legislators too much." <laughs> but but there's a provision in there that says um, the uh, public servants in our state should be paid an amount that is sufficient for the work that they do, but not so much that the pay becomes an attraction in itself. And that's in our Constitution. Yes, it is. And those oh. are key words. And I'll tell you what, to our listening audience saying sufficient to the work, well, you, uh, might get a, you might get some blowback there. <laughs> well, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it's that, that phrase is just exactly what should be followed, yeah. in my opinion. All right, let's grab another call for you. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, good morning, Governor. Morning. Um, I really I don't have a question for the former governor, but I have a couple uh, statements. Um, if the uh, the legislatures are complaining about their pay and they need more money, maybe they should think about uh, not passing bills that raise the cost of living in Vermont. I don't know if that's been addressed yet. Um, and also, uh, a few callers ago. Um, I'd just like to say that Trump derangement syndrome is alive and well. Um, and based on evidence, I'm sure he thinks that uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh is guilty also. Thank you. Well, it's uh, uh, interesting uh, interesting observations for sure. But uh, you make a good point about uh, uh, making Vermont more uh, affordable. Governor Scott's been talking about, about that quite a lot. I did uh, back on my watch. And uh, it just seems such a... Um, such a bizarre uh, uh, contradiction where we've got a proposed, what, 18% increase in the statewide property tax unless something happens in the near term, and legislators' priority is raising their own pay. Uh, so a lot of Vermonters are going to be really squeezed because the grocery store is charging more and uh, uh, there are a lot of things are going up, and um, uh, it's just unsustainable. I think it's, I mean, particularly, I agree with you 100%, particularly at a time when you know, outdoor gear exchange just laid off some people. Uh, shop just uh, the down in Putney, right? They just closed down the, the long time the, the mill. mill. Yep. Yeah, uh, we've got a budget that's very tough. We're looking at, as you mentioned, eighteen percent potential property tax increase. 
and they and they want to raise their pay. I mean, it's like you pick talk about picking the worst time of all to try to do all, to do that. Well, in an election year, generally in the old days, we wouldn't do it <laughs> even numbered year, right? But ah, whatever, whatever. Well, I think, and it's in, in what's happening now. Now that now that reality's starting to strike, you know, when people go to um, every time I hear somebody talking about, I can't believe I just had to register my vehicle and it's up all this, and I said, you know, uh, and and I just want to point out that the uh, the transportation department, the Department of Motor Vehicles, said they didn't need the money. It's bizarre. I remember there was one biennium a few years ago where um, Governor Scott succeeded in not having any tax or fee increases. Yeah. And that was remarkable. I mean, right. I, that didn't happen on, on my watch. There are always some fee hikes or something. Well, yeah. And, 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 and when the department comes out and says, no, you know what? We've gotten more efficient. We don't need the money. Yeah, I... And that does not set well, even with people that don't pay attention. I mean, you know, you get somebody that's 25, and granted, they're, they're, they're just getting started, and, and it, they don't have to be political junkies. But when they turn to you and they're like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, well, let me tell you how this happened. And uh, voting has consequences. One of those young people are the ones who can least afford an increase in their exactly. car registration or right. whatever it is. Right, well, because you- they have to use a vehicle to get to work because they can't afford to live in town because it's too much money. And exactly. you talk about how the governor t- talks about affordability, and you talked about it before the governor. Um, I remember those state-of-the-state speeches from Governor Douglas. I remember the third way, the Vermont way. You're right. <laughs> there you go. I like that. See, uh, nothing wrong with your memory. You were talking about that earlier this morning, but at times, well, I think you're doing fine. It is. It is. <laughs> well, when I ask, a, I ask a guy how his father's doing. The died back last summer. Uh, I'm not sure then. That can happen to any of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's grab one thing call before the break. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hey, good morning. You know, my favorite bill so far this year, in the year that the legislators are ignoring ignoring affordability, is the mandatory 32-hour work week. Oh, yes. That's uh, a bad too. Well, uh, yep. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite. But as far as the legislators, you know, being, you know, being so busy that they need these this pay raise and they need to turn this into a career, um, they're only as busy as they allow themselves to be. And that's what I find locally on the select board that I'm a member of. We're only as busy as we make ourselves. And when we've got one member that likes to get involved with everything, everybody becomes busier than they need to be. And that's what's happening with the legislature. Is they, that, are you referring creating to, work for themselves. Are you referring to Senator Hardy? Um, I'm referring to everybody in general in oh, the okay. legislature. Later, you know, they they just get involved with things that they really don't need to be getting involved with. Just do your business and go home. Yeah. And um, that's what I find here locally on the select board. It's we're only as busy as we make ourselves, and I don't think it's any different in the legislature. No, Calvin Coolidge uh, spoke about that in 1914 when he became president of the Massachusetts Senate. He said. Give administration a chance to catch up with legislation. <laughs> just give <laughs> yeah, them a chance. Point. That is a good point. Did you find that? We've got to go to break in just a second. But did you find when you were a legislator that uh, a couple of legislators have said this, and it's been my experience, that you get a you get a lot more calls from constituents as a local, a member of a local board, than you do as a legislator, I found. Well, yeah, you know, having uh, served in both roles. But I often said, Kurt, that I, I prefer to be in the legislature. There's a little distance you know, over <laughs> in Montpelier as opposed to being a local elected right. official where, you know, you can get a call any night saying, come plow my road. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the issues right there in the local neighborhood. 
See, it's tough. I, I, I appreciate this gentleman, but Montpelier uh, is not that far away, and Vermont's a small state, and we're gonna folks can folks can pick up the phone. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. We've got the live with Kurt and Anthony on FM ninety six point three and AM six twenty WVMT. There it is. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. That was the song <laughs> in the halftime yesterday with the San Francisco 49ers and the Detroit Lions. We are back on the morning drive on this Monday morning here. And Governor Douglas is with us live and in person right here in the studio. Yes, indeedy. Mm-hmm. If you got a question, by the way, good morning, Dorothy. <laughs> well, we were talking about legislative pay, and I think I told you before that she had a great idea. Um, there's, there's talk about from time to time switching away from the weekly salary to an annual one. I think some states do that. And so uh, Dorothy said, well, pay him half the salary on the first day of the session and the other yeah. half on the last day. That is oh, brilliant. That is ingenious. That is. I like that. <laughs> that any motivation to end yeah, is exactly. brilliant. And that's, that's you know, quite often if you're a private contractor, that's the way it works. Half down and half when you're done. You bet. You bet. Seems fair. I like that. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Mr. Governor, uh, curious. Uh, although you're not obligated and you seem to be a pretty frugal person, uh, did you actually bring any graft to the morning drive? <laughs> no, no. in fact, uh, it's the reverse. I've helped myself to a cup of coffee in the lobby, so I'm accepting graft. <laughs> I was thinking that. It's like, you know, we don't publicly call for it as much as some of the previous hosts did. And every now and then I'm like, you know, I'm hungry. I wish somebody would bring something. <laughs> well, but of course, and for me, I have yeah. my New Year's resolution was I've eliminated all sweets. No soda, no sweets. I was I was out of control with it. So it's best that you didn't bring any. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I remember one uh, one, uh, time I went to the uh, aforementioned previous hosts uh, who were uh, quite aggressive. Yeah. Charlie knew how to get. He he said that. He's like, you guys got to ask for more food. Well, uh, and the aforementioned wife said, uh, you know, uh, those guys are going to have a problem, you know, eating all the sweets. So she sent me up to the studio with a bag of carrots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet that went well. Well, they pretended they were grateful. (laughs) (laughs) I could see Ernie throwing them at you from the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. You're talking about the weather, and um, um, it was um, wasn't bad coming up. Uh, More snow to the south. I think you know that. Uh, um, But I was driving along, and uh, there was um, uh, rain on the windshield. And I thought, well, I'll wipe that off. Oh, it was frozen to the windshield. Yeah. <laughs> so, so and, and a couple of slick spots on the road. So be careful out there. There were actually. I noticed. I stepped. I uh, came out on my back step, uh, and I was like, "Oop, that's a little little icy." And it is. It's just below freezing, and it was above freezing pretty much all weekend. So uh, there are some slick spots. Exactly. Take it easy out there, as we say, um, and you have to now. I mean, the ride back. I was saying earlier. Uh, I left about seven o'clock from Middlebury and the first 15 miles, I was like, this is going to be a long drive home. And then just got North of Virgins and it was clear. Amazing. It was nice. Amazing. It was very nice. Now it's got, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's going to be a lot like the solar eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Governor, what's up thinking way back? What got you, what 
everybody always wants to know what made someone run for political office. What got you involved in politics in the first, to, to begin with? Well, uh, my first um, uh, adventure was when I was in junior high school going down to county headquarters and stuffing envelopes for Barry Goldwater. Oh, there you go. Uh, I didn't stuff enough of them, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. 1964. Exactly right. And so I got to college and uh, dutifully joined the Young Republican Club. Uh, I'm now the advisor to the club at Middlebury, by the way, and um, um, became state chairman. And in that role, um, was a member ex officio of the Republican State Committee. So I got to meet uh, Dick Snelling and Madeline Harwood and all these luminaries, because back then the Republican State Committee was the same as state government. (laughs) 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 And um, Snelling had been in the House back in the late 50s. He'd run unsuccessfully in the 60s for statewide office. He was planning to go back to the House in 72 when I ran. And so he said, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grow up and, you know, haven't figured it out yet. (laughs) Uh, So so, uh, Dick said, uh, hey, come on. Run for the house. We'll have fun. <laughs> and the, the one of the members from Middlebury was not running um, uh, that fall. He'd been appointed and decided not to seek a full term. So I went to him and got his support in a contested primary, and and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. That's pretty. It, that it's it's the. The story, it's just very organic and very natural, and yep, it's the way it works. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Hi, Governor Douglas. Morning. Uh, I have a question uh, that uh, how you're just talking about things from the past. Uh, in uh, Vermont's history, who, other than yourself, of course, was your favorite uh, governor? Oh, gosh. Good uh, question. Um, well, it's hard to... Uh, Hard to pick just one, but, uh, of course, Dick Snelling was my boss and mentor and colleague in the legislature, uh, quite a strong, sometimes challenging personality, but a, a guy from whom I learned a great deal. Uh, I think of um, uh, Governors Aiken and Stafford and Davis, who were uh, the kinds of Republicans that the first caller um, uh, perhaps uh, should be reminded of, because uh, the tradition of Republicans in Vermont is uh, is uh, environmentally conscious and, and um, uh, down-to-earth and, and uh, responsive to the people of our state. Um, I obviously like Governor John Meade, who served from 1910 to 1912, who was uh, um, way ahead of his time in terms of uh, tougher child labor laws and uh, campaign finance reform and clean energy, uh, as well as um, um, a self-made guy who gave his uh, his uh, uh, his resources to his alma mater, Middlebury, and to the city of Rutland and other places. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and, of course, I'm a Phil Scott fan right now. Uh, he's uh, he's doing an outstanding job. Do you think the mayor of Burlington is going to run against him? Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? I mean, every uh, utterance now about every problem in the Queen City is, oh, it's the state's fault. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> that uh, might tend to make you think he's about to run for governor. Yeah, and, uh, well, I might run someday for an executive position. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> the hints so. have been being dropped. <laughs> well, and I, unless he's thinking of the presidency. Uh, I, <laughs> I that's guess, a good point. Rules out the it. Senate when he says executive. You're right. You're that's, absolutely right. Well, that's fine. Nothing wrong with ambition. Uh, now, you have been the one person in that experience who was governor and ran against the mayor of Burlington. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. 2004. I remember it well. And I, I think uh, I, 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 I'm 
concerned about making absolute statements, but as far as I can recall, the last mayor of Burlington to win the governorship was Urban Woodbury, uh, who was a Civil War hero. and Old Urban. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> that was the last uh, mayor I, of Burlington. It was around 1890-ish, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that the mayor of Burlington, typically, I mean, it's the, it is the largest city in the state, and I, I respect the fact that they think they should move up to governor, but I don't think they have a healthy respect how the rest of the state perceives Burlington. Remember the old saying, Burlington is close to Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Sorry, Kurt. <laughs> oh, <whoops. laughs> Let's go back to the I don't know if you phones. guys know, but I live there. <laughs> and represented it. Yes, you did. Yeah. Very well. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hey, great to talk to you, Governor. I just wanted to ask you a quick question. You mentioned a lot of stuff about some past governors, like the, uh, historically, like the one from 1910 to 1912. Is there a book that you read, or how would I like learn about all those little things that you were just mentioning? Is that a book, or uh, is there some place that you studied that? I'd just like to know. Thank you. Uh, no specific book that I can recall, but uh, just have to learn uh, learn about the history of the state, I guess. Of course, I, I do uh, um, teach a course at Middlebury on um, Vermont government and politics, and uh, we read uh, Senator Bill Doyle's book, uh, which is called uh, The Vermont Political Tradition, and there's some of that in there, but... Uh, but even then, not all of it. But that's that's a good place to start, the Vermont Political Tradition by Bill Doyle. Yep. Hey, you named your favorite governors. How about your favorite presidents? Give us your top three or four. I know one that's for certain oh, on sure. the list. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's a big drop-off after that. So, <laughs> yeah, last year we had the centennial of President Coolidge's first inauguration, and it was a, a long, exhilarating year. But we're not stopping. Uh, somebody said to me uh, uh, right after the excitement last summer, well, wait a minute, uh, the, the centennial of his presidency goes till 2029. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're having a, a conference. We, the Coolidge Foundation, uh, are sponsoring a conference in March at the Library of Congress on debt, a four-letter word. Um, oh, my. Uh, because Coolidge, uh, of course, was a fiscal hawk. He reduced the uh, uh, federal debt uh, substantially during his tenure in office. He reduced federal tax rates, uh, grew the economy, and so uh, we're going to continue to have uh, various activities in his uh, memory. And, of course, 2024 was 100 years since he actually got elected president. Yeah, and it was a three-way race. Uh, um, John Davis was the Democrat, and uh, Robert La Follette ran as a progressive, uh, the fellow from uh, Wisconsin. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Coolidge still won a, a majority of the popular vote. He, he, he was very, very popular. Who, who's, who is second after that? <clears throat> well, uh, Ronald Reagan, maybe. Um, uh, he, of course, put Coolidge's uh, portrait in the in the Oval Office. Uh, he was a real Coolidge fan. But I think now when um, people talk about the upcoming race, which uh, could be a, a rerun of uh, 2020, and, and think of 2016 where people, again, weren't thrilled with the choice um, on the ballot among the uh, between the two major party candidates, um, you know, there used to be a time when, uh, and feel free to disagree, guys, but when, when we think, well, okay, if it's uh, – all right, if it's uh, Bush or Gore, I mean, you know, uh, have a preference, but it'll be okay. Or uh, or uh, McCain or Obama or McCain or Romney, uh, I mean, Obama or Romney, uh, there was a positive choice. Uh, we think, well, we have our favorite, but if the other guy wins, it won't be too bad. But now it's nobody likes either of them. Seventy uh, percent uh, of Americans don't want this choice. 
And and so I, I say Reagan because he made us feel good about the country and had a lot of broad bipartisan support, whether you agree with every policy choice or not. So I I, I rank him high. His campaign theme in 84 was It's Morning Again in America. That's right, exactly. A positive theme. And, of course, he always talked about the shining city on the hill. Yes, he did. Um, let, well, let's talk a little bit about this year's election. Do you think it? Um, there's a lot of criticism from former President Trump and some others who are supporters of President Trump that Nikki Haley ought to get out of the race. What do you think? Well, no, I mean the uh, there are, what a uh, couple of thousand delegates to the Republican National Convention, and so far we've chosen forty or fifty. I, I mean, and she's got half as many as he has, roughly, or maybe a third or so. Uh, I mean. Two states to vote in. There are 48 more states, as Governor Sununu said. So I don't think so at all. And uh, as some have suggested, um, um, President Trump is leading the polls theoretically now. But if he's convicted of a crime before Election Day, his numbers drop precipitously. So I think it's important to have somebody in reserve, somebody else who has broad uh, support, uh, ready to take that nomination uh, if if he uh, is unavailable for some reason. (laughs) I think it's important. I, I really do think that uh, he should. I think there's an opportunity for Trump to pivot and to debate and to look presidential and kind of, you know, uh, he's not going to listen to me. And we had this conversation repeatedly on the air. But I think that the Republican Party could really, uh, as opposed to working behind the scenes to kind of shut her down. I think if they embraced it and said, let's have a couple of debates and let's 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 go through this process and make it more transparent. Exactly. Because it's obvious on the other side when when the president, does, the president, the current president of the United States doesn't even bother to be on the on the ballot in New Hampshire because they're trying to manipulate the primary system. Right. The contrast could be so, so just loud and, and be like, look, this is the new Republican Party. You know, and uh, and take a look at it. But what what do you mean he's not he's not going to listen to you? You don't think President Trump's listening to the morning drive today? No, he was, and he texted me and said, "I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> You're a loser. <laughs> You're a loser." I I grabbed the win red and I saw that you gave Nikki Haley five dollars. No, none, you, none of that is true, by Governor, the way. Governor, <laughs> what do you think happened to DeSantis? I mean, he started out as people thought he was going to be a serious. Mm. Uh, yeah. Challenger to former President Trump. He'd had this uh, huge reelection, overwhelming twenty points in a state that's considered a lot of times more of a toss up. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, a record of accomplishment in Florida. Lots of donors, lots of money. What do you think happened to him? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but he doesn't come across as particularly likable. Um, he, he is accomplished, no question about it. I was chatting with a friend in Florida who thinks very highly of him in terms of his leadership down there. Um, he um, uh, is aggressive in many ways, uh, uh, provocative, uh, which is um, fine. But I think a lot of people thought, well, he is kind of like a younger version of Trump, but why Why would we go for him when we can have the real thing? So. Same lane. Oh, he was in the same lane as Trump, going for the same voters. And yeah, yeah, tough, tough to. I think it is. I, I know whether he could still be available at a convention. Maybe. Do you think all the indictments against Trump actually have helped Trump? Because it seemed like some time ago the voters seemed more open to a new alternative for the on the Republican side, and it seemed like the more these indictments came down, and people thought that they weren't fair. Yep. Uh, that it was an overreach, that it was um, that they were going after uh, Trump specifically as one of their political opponents, 
the more they did that, it seemed like the more his numbers went up. I think that's right. I, 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 polls suggest a majority of Americans believe that he's being persecuted. Uh, now, now, I assume that these uh, prosecutorial decisions are independent, um, but it doesn't look that way. So I think you're right, Kurt. Well, he just picked up the endorsement of uh, Snoop Dogg. Oh, how about that? Well, and, and remember, uh, actually, Snoop Dogg, uh, back in 2016 or 2020, uh, 2016, was he, he had a couple of videos that were pretty harsh concerning Donald Trump. But over time, and, and uh, Trump uh, pardoned a record executive, but uh, it, made, it made the headlines uh, quite a bit over the weekend where they asked him, and he said, I've got nothing but love and respect for him. He says, I don't know about you, but I'm better off than I... I was better off uh, three or four years ago. Well, that's a great point, Anthony. Uh, some people can, a lot of voters, I think, can segregate uh, his personal life yeah. and times um, from the policies of his four years in office. And, yeah, I mean, tax cuts, regulatory reform, um, um, uh, trade changes, arguably to our benefit, although it's somewhat debatable, uh, insisting that our allies step up more in terms of international uh, uh, agreements. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's you can't complain. I think your friend is right. Yeah, and I think that also um, I do believe that voters are paying more attention, uh, which which I think is a good thing, you know, so they can they kind of see uh, little things that are just bubbling up, like a million little things that, uh, you know, the, the U.N. agency that, that on the surface seems like it's great. You know, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's helping folks, uh, Palestinians, in, in, throughout the whole Western Bank, West, and, and, and in Gaza, too. But it turns out that they were helping, uh, a number wow. of them were helping with the attack on Israel. And you learn that Trump had just quietly stopped sending money to that particular agency. And, and so it, when you look at where the money flows and how they were moving money and stopping money flowing to places, and there was world peace. You, I never thought that we could, we could produce enough energy so we didn't rely on the Middle East, so we didn't send them all this money, so they couldn't fight with each other. It's that simple. It really is. It really is. And I saw John Bolton on TV last night, the former UN, UN ambassador who had a falling out with the 45th president. And uh, he said, I don't believe either Trump or Biden is competent or qualified to serve as commander-in-chief in this volatile world, which leads to the question of another party. And, right. and the latest poll shows RFK Jr. at 18%. I mean, Ross Perot got 19 That's a pretty credible third-party run. Whether that would actually materialize or not is another question. What do you think there is also talk of the no-labels movement? Yep. And that, that they've always said that if it looks like it's going to be Biden-Trump, and right now it looks that way that they would get in and that maybe it would be Joe Manchin at the top of the ticket with a unity ticket of some Republican. Yeah. What, what do you think? I know always traditionally it's been no third party could could ever, you know, Ross Pro got 19%, but he didn't win any states. Correct. Last one was George Wallace to win states, a segregationist uh, from the South. But do you think there's any chance that it could be a little different this year? Because, we've, as you mentioned, we've never seen poll numbers with so many people unhappy about this this potential choice yeah hard to know kurt i I'm, maybe but I, I still have a healthy skepticism um uh, one theory is that uh, although the numbers look good for say rfk or somebody now uh when folks get in the booth they'll think oh, well if i vote for him i'm really helping the the one of the other two i don't 
like the most. And and so in the end, people will kind of go home. Um, Joe Manchin's on a listening tour now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a great guy. He's, he's a former colleague. Uh, I, I like him a lot. Um, but Oh, did you know him uh, as oh, yeah. West Virginia's governor? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. In fact, he succeeded me as chairman of the National Governors Association. So uh, we worked uh, quite a lot together. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. Does does I have to, does Trump make you queasy when he comes out and makes statements like he did at the end of the New Hampshire primary where, you know, maybe if he would have been, you know, above, you know, been above the fray a little bit and not attacked Nikki Haley. Uh, but he actually said something like, you know, Nikki Haley, I've got stuff on her you know, that, that she could be investigated for. I had and DeSantis could have been the same, but he was smart enough to get out and endorse me. That is I hear that, and it's like, what? Well, as you say, uh, why not be magnanimous uh, at, at that particular point? I, I don't understand it. I, I remember after the 2016 election, I thought, well, okay, the election's over, and now he'll be presidential. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> it just never holds. No, it he tries it for his listens to his advisors for a minute, and then it, he goes back. But doesn't that? I mean, as a Republican. And a longtime Republican and all the positions you held, does it make you a little queasy? Well, sure. I think of Ronald Reagan's uh, 11th Commandment, right? Don't speak ill of another Republican. Pretty good advice. Yeah, I know. And uh, I wish we saw a little bit more of that. The Democrats certainly listen to it. Well, yeah. They, uh, they really do know. They, they, they coalesce. They do. They're like, okay, we're done. Circle the wagons. Here we go. They're much more cohesive. No question about it. Yeah, and they. So it's you know, it's funny when you say that. Uh, I think of uh, uh, you just watch how the, the politics has kind of evolved, and uh, a lot of the stuff that Reagan did. I remember when Reagan was running. I was like, we're never going to elect a, a movie star. It's going to be Bush. He's 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 the one. And and then there there's Reagan, and 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 then I watched the presidency. I'm like, wow, he's a pretty decent president. Well, look at that. And he reached out and put Bush on the ticket too. Right, exactly. It, it, and so I was like okay this is this is how it works because that was really the first race that i was really really paying attention to and uh it seems like a lot of the stuff that reagan uh used to profess uh the republicans have forgotten uh, but the democrats are like you know he's right about that <laughs> well and now we've got uh everybody says the republicans have the edge in terms of winning a majority in the u.s senate well mm. we have the capacity to blow it and and we may well nominate uh, losers uh, all across the country and uh, and not win that majority when the opportunity is is ripe. It happened two years ago, right? Everybody said there was a red wave coming, and it didn't materialize because... Well, and now I read the other day that uh, Senator Schumer, uh, who probably listens to this show, right? Oh, I'm sure, um, oh, yeah. Um, is uh, playing in the Republican primary in Montana to try to uh, nominate the weaker candidate out there. Is he? Yeah. I mean, that, that's how they play the game. And yeah. they and they don't you think they essentially they want Trump to be the candidate to run against in the fall? I think so. I mean, the polls suggest Nikki Haley would be stronger at this point. Of course, it's January. I, I get that, and it's a long time till November. But uh, yeah, a lot of material there. Any any thoughts on Vermont on the town meeting day coming up? Well, I don't uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't pay as close attention to the uh, the urban core here as as you do, Kurt. But uh, um, How many years were you town moderator? Thirty-three. I gave it up a few years Somebody ago. Somebody said though you might be coming back. No. Well, I'm school district moderator now, uh, <laughs> and uh, and we have a separate municipality for our our uh, vocational center. So I'm moderator there too, oh boy. Uh, but but not at the town level. Um, so that's my my comeback, I guess. 
Well, that seems to be more contentious than the town <laughs> level, I well, would think. Well, in fact, that's what I said to the new town moderator, look, because uh, uh, sometimes it's been the same person, even though the meetings are on separate days. And I said, well, let me hang on to the school district job until things calm down a little. Yeah. We'll yeah. See. I think that's wise. Thank you. Well, keep us informed about the, the lawsuit. If anything breaks, let us let us know. Yeah, nothing yet. Uh, discovery, uh, chugging along. People come up to me all the time and urge me on. So uh, uh, it's such hypocrisy, uh, as people keep pointing out. We're going to keep at it. Couldn't agree with you more. We uh, we add our voices to that as well. Keep on going with that because there is real hypocrisy from Middlebury. I hate to say it, but... You know, we we know what they did. Uh, For a half century, they were a eugenics factory. And uh, Governor Meade, in one speech, uh, said some stuff about eugenics that we don't agree with today. But I've challenged others to show me any other public utterance, written or oral, where he brought it up. And as far as I know, just one speech. And uh, But yet there was the university having mandatory classes on it for a half decades century. later exactly and before a little bit before but mostly afterward that's right uh, that'll be ashamed governor douglas as always thanks for being on the morning drive we love it great to have great to be with you guys uh, anytime